You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I think when Nate took over, they realized you know, he was a very good, hard-nosed player in the league. He had coached in the league for 15 years as a head coach. And, you know, I think the respect factor really kicked in for, for the young guys on this team. And they listened to what he said. And and of the 20 losses they had in that 14 and 20, 10 of them, they had leads in the fourth quarter that they lost. So, I mean, that, you know, you have to look at that and say, when they made the coaching change, that all turned around. Welcome to If You Don't Like That. Really excited for today's podcast. And if you're a fan of uh, some of the all-time greats like Kurt Gowdy, Johnny Most, and others, you're going to really enjoy today's podcast. It is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento for your plumbing needs and repairs. Make sure you go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. I want to read a tweet that I received uh, yesterday. Grant, as usual, spot on, referred my father-in-law to newworksplumbing.com. He was frustrated over chronic plumbing issues. He looks forward to working with them. Glad they sponsor your podcast. I'm glad they sponsor my podcast as well. Love getting the positive feedback about New Works Plumbing. Again, folks, they will take care of you. And remember, their expert technicians are available to you 24-7. Just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. My guest on today's podcast has been the longtime voice of the Atlanta Hawks. You go back to the late 80s. He's never missed a game. He has been the Georgia Sportscaster of the Year multiple times. He's done the Olympics for Westwood One doing basketball. He's done it all. He is a legendary figure in the state of Georgia. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast Steve Holman. Steve, how are you? Great, Grant. Nice to talk to you. And I guess all of those things you just read off need some old. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> hey, I want to I want to start off by talking about two individuals. And the first is Kurt Gowdy. I say Kurt Gowdy. You say what? Oh, mentor, uh, you know, maybe the greatest of all time sportscaster. I mean, he did everything. He was, you know, Super Bowl. He did Super Bowl one. He did the World Series. He did the NCAA basketball championships. I mean, he did everything that you could possibly do. And to to have him own the radio station in my hometown and uh, give me a chance and give me my first full-time job uh, between my junior and senior year in high school was just really special. Tell me more about that. How did that come about? Uh, the radio station was down the street from my high school, Lawrence High School. 
you know, I had shown some interest, certainly, with ever since I was eight years old, I guess, to, to you know, be on radio and do, do sports or, or something on radio. And they let me go in there after school and practice days. And then somebody got drafted and they <laughs> put me on weekends. And they would call me out of school sometimes to go fill in for somebody. And then that summer between uh, junior and senior year, they told me they were going to put me on full time, uh, you know, in the mornings so I could go to school after that. And that summer, Kurt Gowdy, you know, they called me into his office and he said, "Uh, Stevie, we're going to make you full time. And I said, thank you, Mr. Gowdy. That's great. He goes, it's 110 a week and all the records you can steal. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So that was my, that was my introduction into full-time radio work. And I did everything. I mean, you know, I, of course I wanted to do sports. I wanted to be Johnny most. And, uh, I got to do some sports, but I, I did the news. I played records. I did a swap shop show. I mean, uh, you know, you have to, you know how it is when you're at a small station like that. You do about everything. You mentioned Johnny Most, which is pretty amazing that that's what you wanted to be. And then you filled in for Johnny, and he was uh, he had a big impact on your career, didn't he? Oh, he did. I mean, the, the first thing I did when I got the job at the, at the Kirk Gowdy's radio station, WCCM in, in Lawrence, was to uh, you know contact the Celtics and get a press pass. So I would go to the Celtics games every night uh, you know, for free. And uh, I worked up enough nerve to go upstairs there at the, the high above court side where Johnny sat. I introduced myself to him. And eventually that led to him letting me keep score for him on the same scorecard that I use now. I mean, I use the same handwritten scorecard that I used for Johnny Most back in those days. And then he let me get his English oval cigarettes. and I would, <laughs> fill, I, I would fill up his thermos with coffee at halftime. Uh, you know, and one thing led to another. And of course, there were no analysts back in those days. There was an engineer. There was, you know, I was sitting there with Johnny and there was Johnny and he ended up losing his voice. 1976, it was a Denver Nuggets game the first time. He just said, and, uh, you know, now Steve's going to take over. And he handed me the stick bike and off I went. And uh, you know, after I finished, I was so nervous, but I, I think I did okay during it. I, in fact, I still keep it on my phone now. I'm, luckily, I've been able to keep that and I did a few more weeks, and the next thing you know, uh, I got hired in Boston after that and at the CBS station, and the guy that was my program director there came to Atlanta and called me in 1980. He was starting an all-news radio station, wanted to know if I wanted to do the sports here and do the Falcons pregame, halftime, and postgame. And I said, well, I've never been to Atlanta, and he said, well, I'll call you back in 15 minutes. So, you know, we had a, this, we had a nine-month-old at that time, and had to decide what we were going to do. And he called back and he said, I'll either give you two plane tickets so you can look at Atlanta or I'll give you 800 for moving. So wow. I took the 800 for moving and <laughs> came, came, came to Atlanta sight unseen. And the rest is history, as they say. I got a funny story for you that you'll appreciate. I got to know Danny Ainge very well when he played in Sacramento. And he shared the story of the uh, one of the finals when they were playing the Lakers. And, you know, back then they were flying commercial. And Johnny always used to sit in the back of the plane. And this was when you were allowed to smoke on the airplane. Well, Johnny used to keep the pack of his cigarettes uh, in his shirt pocket and he would fall asleep. So Danny, uh, during the flight, when Johnny fell asleep, took the pack of cigarettes out and replaced some of the cigarettes with the ones that blow up when you light them. Now, <laughs> now, now first of all, can you imagine that scene on an airplane now? But anyway, he, he uh, said he replaced a couple of the cigarettes with the ones that explode. And Danny said that when Johnny most woke up, the first thing he did was reach for a cigarette, lit it, and the thing <laughs> blew up in his face. And he said all 
the guys on the team were looking at Johnny, and the first thing he said was, Ainge! Ainge! You know, because yeah. he, he knew, he he knew it was did Ainge it. that did that. Can you imagine that scene on the airplane? Seriously. Oh, I can't. I, you know, I can't. Knowing John, I can imagine it because he would, you know, there were so many legendary stories about him. But but I I know he smoked all the time during the games, even when you weren't supposed to. Right. You know, he would hide the cigarette down in between his legs. There's that famous story about his pants went on fire. Because <laughs> right. He had the cigarette down there and he was trying to put it out with his coffee. <laughs> so you know, he had the polyester pants on. Uh, right. But there are so many stories. I mean, he, he was such a great mentor to me, though. Great guy. I mean, he taught me a lot. Uh, you know, he taught me that it's the good guys against the bad guys. You know, that's probably why I broadcast like I do as, a, as much of a homer as they call me. I, I, I don't mind. I, I, I kind of wear that as a badge, uh, you know, so that I enjoy. And But but there are so many. I mean, when I was when I was with him as, you know, a kid, Tommy Heinsohn was the coach, and I went with them to New York because they were playing in the first game of a doubleheader. You remember the old doubleheaders, sure. right? Sure. <laughs> uh, right. So we, we started doing the pregame show. I'm holding the tape recorder for Johnny, and he starts talking to Tommy about tonight's game and he starts talking about the Knicks and Tommy waved at me to stop the recording and he said John John we're not we're not playing the Knicks tonight and John goes well what the f are we doing in New York then (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that is beautiful oh the other the other great story uh which is one of the all-time classics in broadcasting was when the Celtics were playing over in Europe and he couldn't pronounce any of the names on the European team. Oh, I know, team. the big guy, the yeah, little guy, right. the lefty. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I mean, could you, that that was maybe uh, one of the all-time classics, <laughs> listening to that call uh, of the, you know, that was that was vintage Johnny Most, wasn't it? Oh, it was, yeah. I mean, it was uh, it was him so much. I mean, it, when, when we would start a game, you know, in fact, I still say, I, I use his opening, you know, the high above court side, whether right. the Atlanta Hawks and whoever about to do basketball battle, I, I got his, I asked him before he passed if I could use that as kind of a tribute to him every night. And he, he of course, was, you know, he started crying. I started crying. And he said, great. So I do that every night now. But I remember most nights I would have to, we, well, back then the, the press notes were maybe a page or two at the most. And at the top it would say Boston Celtics against whoever. And he would open the broadcast and say, good evening, everyone, Johnny Most, I'm on courtside. Where the Boston Celtics, and I would have to point to the other team on the sheet. <laughs> and he would say, and the uh, Detroit Pistons are about to basketball out. Oh my God. <laughs> but once the game started, I mean, he, he had a knack. I mean, he knew every player in the league. I mean, and never had to look at a number, never had to look at any kind of a, a roster sheet or anything. He just, uh, he had that knack of just, you know, he, he, he knew every player, who they were, and uh, never had to never had to check a name. You know, the end of his life was very sad. I had a chance at the media room at the old Arco Arena before a game. Uh, I was eating, my, you know, my pregame meal, and he came and literally sat right across from me. And you know, I say this in all due respect. He looked so bad, and his his eyes, and he looked so bad. I could barely look at him. But the end of his life. Boy, it was so sad to see the way he went. I mean, such a legendary figure in New England. I mean, Johnny Most was, I mean, he was the Celtics for many years. I mean, you can say all you want about all the banners hanging up. But, you know, when people think of Boston and the Celtics, they think about Johnny Most as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, you talk to any any old Celtics fan, you know, Havlicek stole the ball. It's yep. probably the greatest call ever in sports, you know. And it was sad at the end to see him. You know, he had had a couple of strokes and, one of his arms didn't work at the end, and 
you know, he had oxygen and, you know, it was just, it was sad. I mean, but I guess all those years of English ovals, you know, kind of took it, <laughs> took, sure. its, took its toll on him. But, but it was sad at the end, but boy, he was terrific though. He was, uh, he, he, he and Chick Hearn are the two, I think that, you know, people point to. There's one thing uh, about your bio, because one of the things that I was most proud about in doing the NBA for 32 years is I missed only one game. And it was because, believe it or not, I couldn't get from Sacramento to Phoenix on the day of a game on a flight. I mean, you would think, gee, Sacramento to Phoenix, no problem. There were horrible thunderstorms in Phoenix and Sky Harbor was closed. And that's the only game that I couldn't get to. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is you haven't missed a game in all of your years. Is it because it's your work ethic or was it also because you didn't want someone to fill in and take your place and have <laughs> no really and have other people go, Oh my God, this guy is great. Seriously. I mean, I, there was, I used to think about that. I was like, I don't want to give anyone else an opportunity to show how good they may be. And I don't, I'm, you know, knock on wood, I'm fairly healthy, but they were, yes, it was work ethic. It's how I was raised, but I was fearful of having someone else do my job and maybe do it better. Yeah. I think there's a, there, there was certainly some of that, but I think most of it was work ethic. That was kind of instilled in me by my dad. You know, he, he was draftsman. You know, he hated what he did, but he showed up every day and he taught me to show up every day to go to work. And, you know, he hated his job. I love my job. So I always say the least I could do is show up every day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then as the time went on, the the number of games started to add up and add up. It became more of a, you know, to me, more more than anybody else. But it's, you know, it's kind of a kind of something that I'm proud of. And, you know, I want to keep it going. And I think I'm at 2738 right now. So, you know, Chick. Chick is within striking distance. Yeah. Well, you're, hey, you listen, know, you only have 20. He was 86 when he stopped. I, I'm only 67. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'm in probably better shape than I was when I was 47. I walk six miles every day and, you know, knock on wood, like you say, I, I feel like I'm in good shape. And, you know, I think I can do it. And as long as as long as they let me do it and as long as I can, you know, sound okay and probably don't start peeing on myself or something, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll keep doing it. <laughs> you, you only have 21 years to go to catch Al McCoy. Yeah, I know. Isn't that, that? I am so happy for Al. I mean, I just hope they continue and win that championship for him. I mean, he's had two other cracks at it in his career, 76 and what, 93, I guess. Yep. You know, but now at 88, I mean, what, what a what a phenomenon that is that he can, you know, and he sounds great. I mean, I listen to him all the time on the on the Sirius XM and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. amazing. And, yep. and they use all of his highlights now during these the, the playoffs and and he's such a great guy. I mean, he, he is really one of, you know, how a lot of people in this business are not known for being great guys, but Al is one of the really, truly nice guys in the business. And, you know, every time I go to Phoenix, I have dinner with him or when he comes to Atlanta, we have dinner here. And, you know, I'm, I'm just so happy for him. And uh, I just hope, uh, you know, I hope to God he gets that ring this time. Uh, amen to that. For people that listen to my podcast and my daily rants, um, I've had several uh, about Rick Carlisle calling the move to fire uh, the great young head coach Lloyd Pierce insane. And the proof is in the pudding. Nate McMillan took over, and that team was a different team. And uh, what what a, what a run. What was it about Nate McMillan, Steve? What was it about that change that really got this team going? What it, what, what, what was the key there? Well, he has the, the whole the believe thing, and that was across the, the warm up that you saw during the playoffs. You know, our guys warmed that, and it said believe, and he really got them to believe in themselves. I mean, the, they were fourteen and twenty when they made the coaching change, 
And and I I really feel if they didn't make that change when they did, I, I don't even think the Hawks would have made the playoffs. Never mind the Eastern Conference Finals. That's how that's how bad I think it was at that point. And I don't know what had happened. I I, I think guys, you know, sometimes they stop listening. But I think when Nate took over, they realized, you know, he was a very good, hard-nosed player in the league. He had coached in the league for 15 years as a head coach. And, you know, I think the respect factor really kicked in for, for the young guys on this team. And they listened to what he said. And and of the 20 losses they had in that 14 and 20, 10 of them, they had leads in the fourth quarter that they lost. So, I mean, that you know, you have to look at that and say, when they made the coaching change, that all turned around. And I think a lot of it is like Nate knows how to call timeouts, which you know, it doesn't sound like anything that's really that big a deal. But, you know, he knows exactly when to call timeouts. And I think there's a certain knack for that, too. And I think that's one of the things that, that really changed. Steve, I was uh, critical of the Kings allowing Bogdan Bogdanovich to go for nothing. What did he mean to the Hawks this year? Oh, he was he was so tremendous. I mean, you know, he got hurt early in the year, and it, it took a while for him to come back. But once he got back and healthy, I mean, he was he was terrific. I mean, you know, there were nights where he would hit six or seven threes in one half, and Danilo Gallinari would hit six or seven in the second half. And you know, it's it's too bad Bogey ended up getting hurt. He hurt his knee in that Philadelphia series, so he was basically kind of hobbling around on one leg in the in the Milwaukee series, and. You know, I, I, they're waiting on a second opinion on him now. I think he might get a little tweak on his on his knee during the summer here. But uh, but he's he he was terrific, and you know what a you know what a nice guy he is. It's great. You know, he's been in he's been in championship games in Europe. I mean, he brought sure. that to the table, even though it was his first NBA time. But it is, I mean, you know, thanks thank you to the Sacramento Kings every day, and and also thanks to Mike D'Antoni for basically giving us Clint Capella for nothing. Yeah. Because he didn't want a center on that team. He just wanted to shoot threes. And and look at the year Clint Capella had, too. Uh, no question about that. You know, when Trey Young came into the league, he had a lot of detractors. And I was one of them. I wasn't sure that his game would translate. But boy, oh boy, I mean, he is so fun to watch. And his ceiling is what? Where do you where do you see Trey Young in a couple of years? What type of player can he be? Well, you know, I don't think there is a ceiling there because we, you know, we didn't know what to expect when the playoffs started. And look what he did. I mean, the biggest stage, you know, New York. Here he is and he takes over New York and he he was the villain and he loved it. And at the end of that series, he took a bow because he said that's what they do on Broadway when these shows in. Right. (laughs) So he took a bow and then he went into Philadelphia, did the same thing. And, you know, they ended up winning a game seven on the road against the number one seed in the East. Who would have thought that? I mean. And then they go into this Milwaukee thing, and if, uh, I really think if Trey hadn't stepped on that referee's foot uh, and 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 had that you know very bad bone bruise, you know who knows what would have happened. The Hawks could be playing against the Suns right now too, but you know that's all part of it, and you know injuries are all part of it, the whole thing. So uh, it was just bad luck, that's for sure. And but he has, he he doesn't have that. He's 22 years old. I mean, you know the sky's the limit for him. And the other thing is Cam Reddish, who was hurt all year with an Achilles thing came on like gangbusters in that Milwaukee series because DeAndre Hunter was out with, with his knee surgery and people don't remember. I, I, or I don't know if they think about the fact that Cam Reddish also was part of that trade, the Trey young for Luka Doncic thing. Mm-hmm. The Hawks got the number 10 pick, which was Dallas's pick and took Cam Reddish. Now, if Cam Reddish turns out to be what, what there are people in our organization who said when they drafted him that, he could be the best player on the team in three years. I mean, and that's saying something. So if you if you have Trey Young and Cam Reddish both turn into 
you know, big stars in the league. I, you know, that that's a pretty good, pretty darn good trade. I don't think there's any question about that. You know, I, I guess, well, there's no negative about what happened with Atlanta this year, but now expectations rise. I almost look at Miami last year. They were in the NBA Finals. Were they really as good as a team that was in the NBA Finals? I didn't think so. And then this year, they, they took a big step back. When I look at the future of this team right now, how do you see it? Well, I, I, I think the sky's the limit, really, because they have they didn't have DeAndre Hunter for much of the year. They didn't have Cam Reddish for, for much of the year. So if those two come back healthy, which, you know, I, I assume they will, and I think Cam's going to play in the summer league, and they're going to have a, a normal training camp. They're going to have a normal start to the season in October. And Chris Dunn is another guy that they signed last year. He didn't play at all because of injury. And he's one of the best defensive guards in the league. So if you add those three to the core already here, I mean, that's, that's going to be phenomenal. And I, I really don't think that – I mean, they're going to have a, a, you know, people are going to circle the games against the Hawks now. They're not going to surprise anybody, but I don't think that matters to them. And it didn't really matter to them during the playoffs. They, uh, People kept waiting for them to, you know, streak in the big stage, and they never did. So uh, I just think that the, the future is really bright here, and, and, and they're only going to get better, I, I feel. A couple of weeks ago, I had Spud Webb on. Spud's a dear friend of mine and one of my all-time favorites. Me and, too. Yeah, one of my uh, all-time favorite Hawks. I know he was with right. Guys. And and you know you know this, Steve. You know he had that wall up around it, but once once he took you in, and he was like, okay, he was just awesome to be around. What do you remember the most about being around Spud Webb? Oh, I just re- remember Spud a lot with that the whole you know the Dominique thing and the, that whole group of guys that you know Doc Rivers was on that team. Tree Rollins was on that team, Randy Whitman. I mean, it was, and they were all in the same kind of boat that the, the Hawks are now, all young guys all together, and they're so athletic. And they just had so much fun together, and Spud was fun, and you're right, very, very quiet. But once he would let you in and, you know, got your trust, you know, he would, he, he would start to make fun of you with the best of them, and yep. he would let you, let you witness their taunt games and, you know, Barney Rubble pays me double and all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> right, right. That was one of his favorites. Yep. One of his favorite sayings during the card game. So, no, I love Spud, and I still, you know, I still stay in contact with him. He's on my Facebook page, and you know, I see him once in a while when we're in Dallas. Sure, when we go, and he comes to Atlanta once in a while for like a charity golf or something too. But it's always so, you know, it's always good to see him. We had so many uh, uh, laughs, uh, both off the air, but on the podcast talking about Moses Malone and, you know, for, you know, and we, and we, and Spud, we, I was saying Spud, every time I was around Mo, I needed a translator and he started laughing and he was telling me stories about Fratello asking Spud, what was it that Mo just said, but you were around Moses Malone. I mean, seriously, one of the all time greats, what was that like for you? Oh, it was, it was terrific. And, and, and to go to what, what you said was, you know, back in the days we had one bus, you know, we didn't have sure. the three buses like we have now. And, I would be sitting about midway through and the players would all be in the back and they'd be laughing and you'd hear Moses say something and they'd all start laughing. And I said to Dominique, I said, I said, how do you know what Moses is saying? He said, <laughs> he said, I don't. He said, he said, but when Moses laughs, we laugh. <laughs> but, hey, right. Isn't that the Moses truth? Was, yeah. Moses was something though. He called me. I don't think he ever knew my name. He called me radio man. We were in the, in the locker room at the Omni and Brian Hill, who was Mike's, assistant you know went on to become the head coach of Orlando and, and such but uh, Brian was writing on the board on the blackboard back in those days with the chalk and I'm standing next to Moses and Moses goes yo and Brian was still writing didn't turn around Moses goes yo 
And then he says, Moses turns to me and he goes, radio man. I said, yeah. I said yes, Moses. He goes, what's his name? I said, <laughs> I said Brian. And he goes, yo, Brian. <laughs> this was like his second year with the team. I love it. Hey, radio man. <laughs> yeah, uh, radio man. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, Spot- he called his kids. He called his kids Harvard and Yale. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, unbelievable. I'll tell you this. We also had a lot of laughs talking about Dominique, and I can't even imagine, you know, being behind the mic for every game that he played as a member of the Hawks and how thrilling that must have been for you. Oh, it was terrific. I mean, there were so many moments, too, with him. You know, he became the all-time Hawks leading scorer, passing Bob Pettit. That, that was fun calling that. and. You know, when he hit all the different milestones, 10,000, 20,000. And I, I think one of the most emotional nights that we had together was his last night as a Hawk because we all kind of knew he was going to be traded. And, you know, which, as it turns out, was the, the worst trade in the history, not only of the Hawks, but in the history of Atlanta sports, I think, because it was just a public relations nightmare that, you know, it still, it still haunts people now. But, you know, at least Dominique is back in the family now and he's, you know, a vice president. And he's also, a, you know, the TV broadcaster uh, with Bob. And But that night was very emotional, too, because we all knew he was going to go. And I, I took my first and only picture with him up to that point uh, that night. You know, wow. so that was and, and, you know, it was I guess they decided, you know, they they, they weren't going to keep contracts like they did. And he and Lenny, I don't think really hit it off, you know, night after night and it bothered Dominique that uh, Lenny would call him Dominic all the time. Wow. wow. How about that? <laughs> he, yeah, he called him Dominic. Wow. So. How about that? Uh, but that, that was a, that was a disaster, you know, letting him go. I mean, Oh, you know, it, it, I just, the night he came back with the Clippers, it, it, the place was unbelievable. It was, you know, standing room only and everybody was cheering Dominique. Like, you know, it was a home game for the Hawks. So he's, he's, he's much loved. And he, he's a he's a great guy too. I sit right across the the aisle from him on the on the charters now, and, and we just have a lot of fun. And you know, although I, he does tell the same stories over and over again, <laughs> you've heard him <laughs> right for sure. What is Especially it? When we have somebody on the play that's new, oh boy, uh, yeah. I say, okay, here comes this story now. Okay, here comes this one. Hey, that's, <laughs> that, that's why they make the Bose headsets, the uh, noise canceling headsets. That's what you need, you know. Right. <laughs> what is it about Atlanta? It, it's such a diverse community in terms of sports you have nascar which is huge you have college in georgia tech and then you have you know the sec with georgia and so often you will turn on a professional sporting event in atlanta and see so many empty seats even when the product is good why is it so difficult do you and again we talked about for years at fulton county stadium the braves in the playoffs not able to sell out why is that in atlanta well, a lot of that with the Braves was they would schedule them on a Monday at four o'clock or whatever. You know, they didn't get the best times, and, and they might have forty-seven thousand instead of fifty. You know, so it was it wasn't it wasn't all that bad. But I think the Hawks have really turned things around now. Every playoff game was standing room only. You know, we had full capacity here in Georgia for a long time, and and it was great. But I, I I've always thought you know the biggest part of it was that it's a, so many people are not from here. You know, people come. To, for all these big corporations that are in Atlanta and they come from all these other cities and you know what the, what the sports teams here the Hawks have done really they've changed it uh, you know it used to be you'd see more like Knicks jerseys or Bulls or whatever but now it's become a Hawks town and 
And this playoff run, I think, really has has solidified that. And, you know, it's always been like a Georgia Bulldog town. Uh, you know, that, that, that's that been a battle for the pro teams, too. And, uh, you know, the Falcons had their run there, and then they, you know, ended up losing that Super Bowl. And now they've they've struggled. But but I th- I've always said it's it's people are you know, are not from here. But I think we're getting now to the point where, you know, second, third generations of native Atlantans, you know, like my son has three kids now that are all Atlanta fans, mm-hmm. you know, even though they, they live over in Mississippi. Scott went to Ole Miss. But, you know, I think that's what it takes. You have to because the old the old cities, New York, you know, Boston, Pittsburgh, they all have. What does your grandfather do? He takes you to a game. He, you know, he took your father to a that's game. Right. And your father takes you to a game. Yep. Very and, true. And, but this is we had to have a, a second generation and a third generation, which we're finally getting to now because the sports teams didn't come in here until the, the mid to late 60s. What's the favorite part of your job? The games, I think. I mean, really, just the whole, you know, once the ball gets thrown up in the air, I mean, it, it's it's like a two-and-a-half-hour escape for me to, you know, no matter what. You know, it's just the game. And I love it. I mean, I still love it like I did the, the first day I did it. And I think that's one of the reasons that, that I've been able to do it as long as I have. And because I look at every night like a brand-new night, and every time I think about if I'm not feeling that well or something's gone wrong or whatever, I figure everybody else, everybody's listening to me to try to cheer them up and give them some entertainment for a couple of hours. So that's the way I look at it. That's my favorite part. I mean, I love all the others. I love the travel. I love the restaurants. I, you know, I, I love you know, walking through all the different big cities and, you know, all of that. But but the games, I think, are the, the actual most fun. Is there anything you don't like about your job? No. Uh, oh, well, I guess when the season ends. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, it takes too long to start again. But I mean, I can't honestly, I can't think of anything that I don't like about it. They never tell me what to say or don't say this or don't say that. Uh, You know, they've never said that to me in 36 years. And, you know, it's been terrific. I mean, it's just I don't I I mean, I hope they're not listening, but I don't consider it work. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's you know how they always say, if you have a job you love, you're not really working. Well, that's the way it is. Do you ever worry about saying the wrong thing now? We're living in very sensitive times. I'm living proof of well, that. There have been others. Are you more yes, conscious? All the time. Yeah. Okay. All the time. I mean, you have to know. I mean, you can't say anything anymore. I mean, you know, you just don't want to offend anybody. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't joke with anybody anymore even. You know, whether it's on the air or off the air. I mean, you you can't, it's just, it's like walking on eggshells all the time now. It's, that's that's something that's really changed over over the years for me. I and you know you know it better than any of us. Oh yes, I do. I mean, I couldn't believe Boris Becker was doing the Wimbledon the other day and talked about a player's fiance being beautiful and he's getting raked over the coal sport. You're right. You, you can't. You just can't say anything anymore. Well, I know. Look at after Brent Musburger said something like that, right? Yes. Well, somebody, against yeah. somebody's girlfriend, right? I mean, you can't say. I mean, but you can't even say to anybody, "Gee, you look nice today." Yeah. No. You know. <laughs> no, it's, you can't. You have to be. You have to be very careful. You know. You mentioned something about when the game starts, and I've always said this because people always used to come up to me and go, "Gee, what's it like?" You know, announcing for such a bad team every year, and I would say, "No, no, no." I said. The great thing about sports is the spontaneity of it. You never know what's going to happen. And I got to tell you, in my 32 years, one of the most remarkable experiences that I ever had was a game that meant nothing for Sacramento, playing the Golden State Warriors, uh, and Clay Thompson in the third quarter scored 37 points. Now, you think about that, okay? You got, no one knows that's going to happen. And you're at no. a game, and you're announcing a game where you see an individual score 37 
points in one quarter. And you've had so many experiences like that over your decades of doing the Hawks. That was my favorite part of doing games because you never know when you're going to see one of the great performances of all time. Exactly. That's what I always tell people. It's the it's the greatest reality show on, on TV or radio yep. because it's unscripted. You don't know what's going to happen. Somebody's, you know, like look at Trey stepped on a referee's foot. Who would have thought that would ever happen in a game? Mm-hmm. And I used to tell people it was, it was worth the price of admission to see Dominique play every night because he was always going to do something that you never expected to see. And Trey's got in the same way now. I mean, he, you know, he, he puts on a show and I think he's been perfect for this town. And that was one of the reasons they drafted him because they were, they were looking for some star power that they really hadn't had since Dominique. And now he's, you know, stepped forward. It's his team. And, you know, he, he's a great player, but he's also entertaining. And I think that that is really, caught on here in Atlanta. Spud told me that when they were in team meetings and they used to watch film of other teams that the players on the Hawks and the coaches would actually be like, wow, look at Neek. Like, you know, they would be, they'd be showing highlights of the other team trying to get ready for the game. But Spud said instead, everybody was just marveling at Neek because he said, Spud used to tell me, you know, I I asked him, I said, were there times when you were playing with Neek, whether you were on the floor with him or on the bench where you were just like, wow. And he said, I can't, he said to me, he goes, I can't tell you how many times I would sit there and go, I can't believe what I just saw. I mean, it happened almost every night with him, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I mean, he would do and, – and what what was most impressive, what I watched him every night, was the way he would just all of a sudden come out of the, the, the ceiling and get an offensive rebound basket. And, and the things he did to dunking. I mean, he didn't just dunk for show. I mean, he, he it was part of his game during games. And that's that's kind of a lost art now, you know, with all these slam dunk competitions. But, but Neek and those guys – they did it as part of the game and, and he wasn't just a dunker and he, he, you know, he gets, he gets upset when people say that to him, that he, you know, he said, I didn't score 27,000 points by just dunking, you know? Is <laughs> so, there, is there anything that you have not been able to do in your career that really itches you that you, you have to do that you want to do, or are you super content with everything to this point in your career? Oh, I'm, I'm pretty content. You know, I was one of those guys that when I started, doing this, I wanted to be the local announcer. I wanted to be, you know, Vince Scully. I wanted to be Chick Hurd. I wanted to be Johnny Most. I wanted to be the guy that, uh, you know, would, would be there for 40 years and have, what I especially like is when kids who are kids, now they're adults and bring their children to the game and they want to take a picture. They say, take a picture with Mr. Holman here. I used to listen to him when I was your age. Yep. And I, that's, that's my biggest kick every night when I can, when I could meet somebody that says they listened to me as a kid, you know, with the radio under the pillow or whatever, yep. and then they bring their kids, you know, that, that to me. So I'm, I'm very happy. I, I, I never, you know, I know a lot of guys set out to be network guys and they, they've been very successful at it and, you know, God love them. They, you know, they probably make a lot more money than I ever did uh, or will, but I'm so happy doing what I do. And, and, you know, being the, being the Atlanta Hawks announcer is it's been a lifetime thing. I mean, I've spent half, more than half of my life doing it. Well, the uh, fans in Atlanta are blessed and so lucky to have you. And it's you're one of the guys I'm going to miss, man. You know, your your presence. Yeah, well, we miss you. We all miss well, you. We always you. talk about you. When, when I see all the other announcers, I just, I'm not just saying this because I'm on with you, but everybody says, you know, gee, we really miss Grant. And, you know, that was so, so unfortunate what happened to him. Well, that means a lot to me. I wish you nothing but the best. And I got to tell you, and I do know this, and you know this, 
if your health is in good shape, you'll be Al McCoy. If you're if you're if you're in your 80s and your mind is sharp and you're able to still do your job well, you, you'll still be doing this in your 80s, no doubt in my yeah, mind. Yeah, I, I want to. I, yeah. I want to. I don't want to stop. I mean, because I think a lot of people when they stop, not not just in this business, but any business, it seems to me that you know it's almost like the end of their life when they stop doing what they love, and mm-hmm. a lot of people retire and and just shrivel up. Wish you the best, Steve. I really enjoyed right, uh, having you on my uh, podcast. You were great. And again, I wish you uh, all the best moving forward. You too. I'll be looking for those rants. It is now time for our Crowd Ultra Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com. It takes a minute to sign up, and maybe I'll answer your question right here on the podcast. Alex wants to know, does CP3 prove complaints about the compact schedule are wrong? No. First of all, CP3 is a guy that gets hurt all the time. So, you know, I don't think he proves anything by playing or not playing. I mean, I don't think it's relevant to the discussion. Again, I talk about this. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a trainer. I just use common sense. These players had off most of March, all of April, all of May, all of June, most of July, and didn't start playing until August. Most of the players did not play past September 15th. And then they started up again in December. And that's too much for their bodies? I'm sorry. I don't buy that. You'll have to come up with something else for me. I just don't don't, don't see that. Josh wants to know, what's your take on Adam Silver saying the NBA wants to help defuse U.S.-China tensions? Well, I think it's great that Adam Silver said that, but I don't think it's practical. I don't think it's realistic. And I don't see that happening. But I think it's great great to say, hey, let, let's try to make the world better. I don't have any problem with that. Tim says, who's on your sports broadcasting? Mount Rushmore. Very good question, Tim. I would have, not in any particular order, geez, off the top of my head, Dick Enberg, Kurt Gowdy, Al Michaels, Keith Jackson, Pat Summerall. Now, you would say, what about Vin Scully? And again, I, I love Vin Scully, but I associate him more with the Dodgers. Yes, I know he did some network stuff and a lot of it. I would have, you know, Jack Buck did the same thing, but I associate him more with the Cardinals. I mean, there are a lot of, you said Mount Rushmore, so, you know, I, I can't give you all of them. You know, Dick Stockton to me, Brent Musburger, but I would start with those four, Enberg, Gowdy, Jackson, Michaels. Great question, though. Great question. Jeff wants to know, what priorities would you have as the Kraken GM in the expansion draft? I would try to follow what George McPhee did in Vegas. I mean, what George did was unbelievably successful, and Vegas has been one of the best teams in hockey from day one. So whatever George did, I would try to follow in his footsteps. Zach wants to know, do I think that Trevor Lawrence is overpaid? I think the majority of athletes are overpaid. So the answer is yes. Sam wants to know, outside of injury, do you see any way Otani doesn't win the MVP, Cy Young or both? I can't see any way he doesn't win the MVP. I mean, what he's doing is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, really, truly unbelievable. It's incredible. Nick, from New York, how do you think college players getting paid will affect their motivation? It's a fabulous question. You never know how economics impact a young person. 
That's a fabulous question. I think each individual is different, Nick. I don't know if you can just make a blanket statement about that. Just like professional athletes. There are some athletes who get a new contract and they're never the same. There are others that make max money and it doesn't change the way they play. They still go out and play every game like it's their last. So I don't think you can make a blanket statement on that. Lucas wants to know, has there ever been an NBA Finals like this one? Not sure I understand your question, but we're only two games in, so I'm not ready to jump to uh, any conclusions. Tyler wants to know, is the Home Run Derby entertaining or dumb? Well, it depends how you feel. I don't really find it that entertaining, and nor do I find it dumb. It just doesn't interest me, but I know it interests a lot of people, so it's subjective. You know, we all have different opinions. I can't answer for you or for anyone else. Jake wants to know, do I think Trevor Bauer will return this season? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Tim wants to know, are you happy to see Cameron Kinley will be playing in the NFL? Yeah, I am happy. Keith wants to know, or I should say Kyle, what are the Tampa Bay Lightning doing to have so much success recently? But they've got really good players. They got tremendous goaltending. They got a nice mix. They got very good speed. You know, they've got tremendous defense. I love watching Victor Hedman play. The guy's unbelievable. But they're just good. Yeah, they're a very, very good team. They have the best players. I mean, it shows during the regular season and during the postseason. Keith wants to know how does the current COVID surge in Tokyo impact the Olympics? Great question. They have now banned any spectators from attending the Olympics. There are many leaders uh, in Japan that are calling for the games to be postponed, including medical experts. I, I think only 15% of the population is vaccinated. Uh, the cases are on the rise. They're worried about the Delta variant. I got to tell you, Keith, I think they've got major issues with the Olympics just a few weeks away in Japan. I really do. I wonder if you're going to look back on the Olympics and say, what the hell were they thinking by having the Olympic Games played, especially in a country right now that's under a state of emergency? Bad, really bad. Very sad what's going on over there. Very much so. Brad wants to know, who do you think are currently the best coaches in the NFL? Well, I'm going to start with Mike Tomlin. I think Mike Tomlin is a tremendous head coach. Obviously, Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, but... You know, the, right off the top of my head, I'm giving you those three. But, I, I mean, Mike Tomlin, I would love to play for that guy if I were an NFL player. You know, you look at Belichick, I mean, he's the best. And then Andy Reid, I think those are the three that I would go with. Uh, Jesse wants to know if I've seen the 75th anniversary logo the NBA will be using next season. Uh, I have not. I have not. Ryan wants to know, have you ever seen a greater athletic specimen in sports than Giannis? You know, I, that's that's impossible to answer, but I would say that watching Giannis play in person courtside is one of the most remarkable things that I've ever seen. Uh, his athleticism truly does uh, jump right off the charts at you. Uh, the guy is a freak athletically. Casey wants to know, hey, Grant, have you and Jerry Reynolds thought about doing a podcast together? Uh, I have not. I wouldn't be opposed to it. I've had Jerry on my podcast four times now. I love having him on. Love the man. I, I would be all for that. Obviously, it would be a basketball theme podcast 
in all likelihood. So, yeah, I'd be all for that. Pat wants to know, were you an ABA fan growing up? I, I was, but not like a crazy fan because when I was growing up, the Knicks were really good and they were in their heyday. But I used to go out to uh, Comac, Long Island and the Nassau Coliseum and watch Rick Berry play and Dr. J with the red, white and blue basketball and I couldn't get tickets to the Knicks growing up. They weren't available. You just couldn't get them. So, you know, I used to go to ABA games uh, fairly often because the tickets were very inexpensive. And again, you, you just get to see Dr. J and Rick Barry. So, yeah, I, I would say, again, I wasn't an ABA fan where I had to watch it and I knew everything that was going on in the league like I did, you know, with the Knicks and the Lakers and the Celtics. But, yeah, I loved the ABA. It was good. Ben wants to know, should the Celtics have uh, moved Gordon Hayward this season? No. No, they shouldn't have. It was a mistake. It was a mistake, in my opinion. Hey, good questions. Just go to crowdultra.com. That's crowdultra.com. Sign up. Takes about a minute. And maybe, just maybe I'll answer your question right here on my podcast. It's time for Rant. Today's rant is brought to you by the Home Theater Company. For your audio, video, and home theater, just go online, hometheatercompany.com. You heard earlier on my podcast, Steve Holman, when I asked him if he's thinking more of what he says, if he has to be careful, he said, hell yes, because you can't even say to someone they look nice anymore. How about what happened to Boris Becker on BBC at Wimbledon? which has caused an uproar, all right, because of a player's fiancé, all right? It's unbelievable. This is what Boris Becker said, quote, they do say they have the most beautiful woman in Hungary. I wouldn't know that, but she's certainly very pretty. Boris Becker's getting killed by women's groups for saying that. You know what? Get a freaking life, seriously. All right, let's just speak plain, simple truth here. Do you know of any person, but I'm going to now go to females and then move it over to males, all right? Do you know of any female that does not like being complimented for how they look? I mean, if I say to a lady, you look very nice today, are they offended? If I have a new suit from my tailor in Bangkok and I'm doing a game and I have people come up to me and go, man, I really like that suit. That's really nice. Am I offended or do I say, hey, thank you for the compliment? Don't we all like to be compliment, complimented? Aren't humans pretty much the same? We like being complimented. What the hell is wrong with Boris Becker saying that a fiancé of a tennis player is very pretty? I mean, seriously. Now, you might say, does he have to make that comment? Well, maybe he doesn't have to make that comment, but it's not an offensive comment, is it? Really? Well, what the hell is going on in society these days? Now you can't tell someone they look pretty or they look nice. And again, I'm not saying going overboard, but if somebody looks nice and you go, wow, you really look nice, that's a compliment, is it not? And I would think that that person's probably grateful that you made that comment. How many people, seriously, male or female, how many people get offended from a compliment? Thank you. I don't know of anyone that gets offended by a compliment. I have never met, and I'm 62 freaking years old. I've never met a female, not once, that has ever been offended by saying you look nice or you look pretty. Not one freaking time. 
But yet, Boris Becker on BBC is getting killed. It's unbelievable. The first group to be offended was the Women in Sport and Perception Agency. Whatever the hell that is. Unbelievable. The charity Women in Sport has worked for decades to change sporting culture. Blah, 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 blah. How about this? When two men are comfortable talking about women in this way, never mind on live TV, it shows there is still more to do. Really? Because Boris Becker sees the fiance of a tennis player and says she's very pretty. You get offended by that? As I said, get a freaking life. And that's my rant for today. And that's my podcast for today. Hey, do me a favor. Take just a moment if you're listening via Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast. I go and I look at all of the ratings. I read all of the comments. It means a lot to me. Thank you very much. And it's important. I'm learning the the podcast lingo. So if you like what I'm doing, please give me five stars. It really would help me out. And don't forget to check out my video rants as well over on YouTube. Hey, have a fabulous weekend. Hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Steve Holman. Coming up on Tuesday, a guy that I have so much respect for. He is the TV voice of the Jazz. He's also done the NFL and the SEC for CBS. Craig Bowlerjack. Great conversation with Bowler. That's coming up on Tuesday. Right here, if you don't like that, with Grant Napier. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.